thank you so much for joining us today. Um, I just wanted to start with something that you wrote on LinkedIn around five years ago. Uh, experience will always be more important than qualifications. Take it from someone who left school at 16. On paper, I wouldn't have ever been able accepted uh, to, uh, to study at university, but now I frequently get invited by uh, universities to teach their students about business. Hashtag irony. Um, Matt, could you just tell us a little bit about your early entrepreneurial uh, journey and what it was like? Absolutely. So, yeah, I, I actually, funny that you mentioned that, I actually do remember writing that, and it's still something that strikes me um today how ironic it is um so i guess if i rewind back to uh, the the kind of foundations of where that mindset came from where when i was a kid i was always a little bit different and i i was always fascinated by the idea of starting businesses and and kind of operating outside of the traditional system i think prob partly because my dad left school at a reasonably young age and started a business that was quite successful. My uncle was quite successful after leaving school at a young age. And I always kind of had this mindset that I wanted to leave school as soon as possible and start my own business. And my first kind of attempt was when I was 15, I started a, um, I started a snowboarding website. At the time, I was very into, still am to an extent, very into snowboarding. And I had a part-time job at the local dry ski slope. Um, basically, I got paid a very small amount of money to kind of set up people's skis and snowboards and um, we got free use of the slopes, which was great. Um, so yeah, I set up the snowboarding website where, and bear in mind, this was probably 1999, 2000. So it was before things like um, social media and YouTube and all that kind of stuff. And we used to, we used to um, video ourselves on our, um, on our old fashioned video, video recorders and um, take photos of ourselves like snowboarding and doing tricks and stuff and uh, put them on this website and we'd um try to attract visitors to it and i had this agreement that i'd set up with this company in um, austria who were basically uh, effectively operating what you call now i suppose drop shipping where we'd list their products on our website um and people would buy them and then they would fulfill them and pay us a commission which is a very common business model now, but the back then it wasn't something that was really known or people did. Um, and it, I didn't make huge amounts of money, but you know, as a, as a teenager, I was making a few hundred pounds a month, and it was you know it was more of a hobby really. But that kind of was my first kind of dip in the dip in the ocean of business, I guess, as it were. Um, <clears throat> and then yeah, so I, I ultimately you know, kind of filled with confidence from that, and having the, the part time job I had, I left school um, as soon as I was able at sixteen, actually without telling my parents. I, I kind of went back to sixth form um, and I spent around about a month getting a bus to school in my school uniform. But instead of putting books in my bag, I'd have a change of clothes to go snowboarding in. So, like um, this, this dry ski slope I worked at was about a 20 minute walk from where I went to school. So eventually I got caught um, <laughs> and chastised quite badly. Um, but uh, but yeah, that was, that was kind of my intro really. Um, and I spent the next few years trying out lots of different things, things to do with web development and working in sales and marketing, kind of really trying to build up the skills that I felt, because I was still very young, I was uh, trying to build up the skills that I felt that I'd need um, to kind of succeed in business, really. I kind of had this mindset that I wanted, had certain things that I wanted to learn, sales and marketing, finance, um, mainly in accounting, and I got various different jobs um, trying to learn those things <clears throat> and eventually I did and then when I felt confident again in my mid-20s to kind of go out and do something proper I did and that's um, that's how I kind of got into what I'm doing now really um, and it's interesting that you, you kind of set you know, the tone of um, 
I couldn't have, you know, I, I couldn't have gotten to university because I couldn't. I left school at 16. And I, you know, one of the things that I found was having left school young, although I was an intelligent guy, I went to a grammar school, I got, you know, 10, 11 A levels, uh, sorry, 11 GCSEs, sorry, um, A to C grades. I was, you know, I was a pretty smart guy. I never had any problems academically. No one would really, very, or very few people in the employment market really give you much of a chance because all they cared about is the fact that you didn't have a degree. It didn't matter how um, good you were at anything. Or the fact I could evidence that I'd done stuff before, they weren't really that interested. Um, but there were a few people that um, that would take chances. I actually found largely it was through temping agencies where you could kind of go in and temp somewhere for a couple of weeks because you could prove yourself rather than having to sell yourself on paper. Um, and actually, my first job um, in in finance that I got, I actually took as a two week temping assignment, and they liked me so much they made their accounting guy redundant and gave me his job. <laughs> Um, so I did that for, <laughs> I did that and kind of learned like, um, I learned you know, financial about financial service and finance for a couple of years and then left <clears throat> and started, um, started Biz Britain. Yeah. But I mean, back then and still, to, you know, still today, I still get regularly asked to speak at events at schools, at colleges and universities. I've been asked to be an enterprise advisor to the local authority, you know, the local authority partnership that, that, um, that administers all of the local secondary schools you know all sorts of stuff and it's just it just strikes me as funny that on paper you know they wouldn't even let me into a lot of these establishments <laughs> whereas that, you know now they ask me to teach them so that's kind of where that came from sorry a long answer but no 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 that's absolutely brilliant and you know it, it sets the tone very nicely and obviously you mentioned biz britain there um could you just tell us how you kind of came to actually create that um that business so Biz Britain, it started out very much as a, a, not what it is today. Let's say that it, was, it started out as a social enterprise where I, I had this idea where I wanted to help people who hadn't been to university or hadn't you know, um, got a great deal of qualifications to start a business um, because it was something that you know I'd done and that was important to me. And I, I saw a lot of people out there who I knew who would, you know, taken alternative routes they hadn't gone to university and they were kind of hitting this glass ceiling in their lives where you know they weren't being able to progress past a certain point and i was like well why do, you know why don't you start a business in in this situation you know it's probably the best thing that you can do in my opinion so i set out about setting up a, a website um that was really just promoting the, the idea of starting a business without a degree and uh, creating kind of content resources and doing interviews with um, well-known entrepreneurs who hadn't been to university um, and I spent about a year doing that. This is in 2012. And I spent about a year um, going down that route and building up a reasonable following um, on social media and getting, you know, we built up quite a, a lot of decent content. And this kind of coincided with when the government were very much pushing young entrepreneurship. Um, there's various initiatives of Startup Britain, and they were just um, coming up with the idea, or just come up with the idea. For something called the startup loan scheme which was um a government funded scheme where young people 18 to 24 could get access to low-cost loans to start a business so um that obviously was very closely aligned with what we were doing and i got invited to kind of take part with an initial consultation with you know ha uh, you know with um the guys that were organizing the scheme to talk to them about how you know they could best engage with young people and um, get, kind of, I guess, get some free consulting from a young guy about how they could do what they wanted to do, really. Um, so I went along with it. And actually, it worked out quite well, because we ended up being one of the first organisations that got a seven figure contract to deliver um, 
some of the some of that funding that they had available. Um, and that was kind of the first toe in the water of um, what we what we really do now as a business model, which is commercial finance brokerage. So, um, as a business, our our primary business model is finding people that um, operate small and medium sized businesses, um, startups, and um, finding them access to finance. So, whether that's through startup loan scheme or you know the hundreds of other lenders that we now have relationships with. So that's that's how it started. Yeah. <laughs> No, that's it's really interesting. And, you know, if you look at all the content that comes out of Biz Britain, a lot, a lot of it is on, uh, you know, it's various entrepreneurs talking about how, you know, if it wasn't for you guys, they probably wouldn't get any funding anywhere else. So wh where do you think the drive to support these SMEs came from um, and led you to set up this business? The drive, I guess um, it's something that I was always so passionate about. And I suppose from from the early days of when I was doing you know, doing the content, speaking to people and speaking to entrepreneurs and speaking to people on social media, I, I was coming across so many young people that were like, oh, you know, I'd really love to have a, a business and I'd really love to do this, that and the other, but I just don't know how or, you know, no one's here to support me or I don't have the money. And it just seemed like something you know, that I, I, I just felt like there was a need there. I mean, you know, when I first started out in it, pre having the, you know, the ability to kind of make money from issuing finance, um, finance to people. We, it was very much just a passion and it was something that I really believed in and really wanted to do because it was something I had experienced myself. And it was, I just, I obviously I knew what it felt like to feel like you had this unfulfilled potential um, to go and do something greater than, you know, what you could perhaps do as a school leaver with limited qualifications and be, you know, bounced off a glass ceiling in, um, in industry in you know whatever whatever route you were trying to take and it was just something i felt yeah i felt very strongly about i guess it's hard to hard to say where the, the passion came from it was just it was just there really it was just something i always felt like i i could identify with and i felt like i felt like i was in a position that i could help people overcome that challenge so i so i did <laughs> Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's, it's. I mean, again, the, the stuff that you guys do is absolutely brilliant. So, yeah, no, kudos to you, as I say. Thank you. Um, so obviously, you know, you, you mentioned that it did, you did pivot the business slightly. Um, and obviously now it's a commercial finance brokerage, but, you know, you've, you've got 10 years under your belt, at least with, with the business. Um, how yeah. do you reckon the funding landscape has changed um, from when you first kind of set up the business um, to now? It's, I mean, it's changed un, unrecognizably, I would say. So when we first started out, one of the reasons why the startup loan scheme that we first got involved with was created was because it, back in 2012, there, there was no alternative finance market. It was you got a loan from the bank or you got a credit card and that was it. <laughs> or, you know, if you, if you didn't get a loan, you'd have to get them or, or a credit card. You get your money from family or friends or investors. There was no, there was no um, you know, peer to peer lending or alternative alternative lenders like you know you have now you have all the big names. i'm not gonna um say names so i don't know if i'm allowed to do that but you've got all the big name <laughs> alternative finance providers that you see in the market advertised um and now there are so many of them it's almost like you're spoiled for choice and they cover all, a, a whole range of um, risk appetites and different types of businesses whereas you know back then it just simply didn't exist um so it's good it's very good in that respect but it's also created a need in a different way for us in that there is now so much choice um, and there are so many different types of finance for, and lenders that have such narrow risk appetites where they're only interested in doing a particular type of lending 
um, for a particular type of business, it's almost like small businesses now don't know where to go, and they need uh, some they need guidance on what you know they need based on their circumstances. You know, based on how much how long they've been trading, how much profit they make, all these different you know, lots of different variables. Um, so yeah, that, that in itself has caused us to pivot somewhat, and. And yeah, I think obviously, broadly speaking, it's very positive. There's a, a big change in the market, obviously, over the last three years with um, all of the the, um, the coronavirus lockdowns and the, the the restrictions, and then inevitably the the schemes that the government put into place to deal with that um, impact of those on businesses. So you had the first the C bills scheme, the coronavirus business interruption loan scheme, um, which originally went down like a bit of a lead balloon because they didn't fully underwrite the debt. Um, so no one wants to lend any money. So you had all these businesses that were saying, look, we're desperate for money. Um, we, you're not allowing us to trade, you know, please help. But none of the, none of the lenders on the scheme want to lend anything because they were still risking their own capital. So then obviously um, they kind of went fully the other way and did, uh, you know, opened up the bounce back loan scheme, which um, was in, in many ways from a lending perspective, nuts because they, you know, um, didn't do any checks at all and they were just throwing money out like you know out of like a kind of water cannon um and the problem with that is um obviously it was open to a great deal of fraud but it's also um tapped into a um i guess a a segment of people who at the time were very desperate and really needed the money but because there were no checks or balances people a lot of people perhaps borrowed more than they could sustainably ever pay back and now it's causing a lot of problems for people um who have lumbered with these big repayments um uh that they you know for a loan they took out in a time of need um that they hoped would be a short-term loan that ended up being something that they had to rely on for for some industries a couple of years um so so yeah, and that in itself, you know, this this explosion of capital into the market effectively cannibalised much of the sub, certainly the sub fifty thousand pound lending for small businesses, because you know, if, I mean, if you're a lender who lends money, you know, up to fifty thousand pounds to a small business, who in the, who's going to come to you if you're charging ten percent interest when the government are giving out loans at two percent and not doing any checks? So it, it it did it did hit the market quite badly in a lot of ways in that set in that area of the market and it put a lot of um, small brokers who relied on doing um, doing deals with small and medium sized enterprises and that kind of um, deal size it put a lot of people out of business. But that's just that's the name of the game, I suppose, isn't it? You know the risk that you take. Um, but I think things are normalising again now, and we are seeing things going back to relatively you know, relatively normal conditions. Um, so yeah. Yeah, no, thanks, thanks for that, Matt. It's uh, again that ten years is a nice little time period, but we've had you know one of the biggest uh, events in world history happen between that. So it's it's good good context. Thank you very much for that. Um, yeah. I, I want to just shift gears a little bit quickly and talk about um, obviously being a CEO. Now we speak to a lot of entrepreneurs who say they are almost uh, reluctant CEOs. Um, when yeah. you kind of took the reins as CEO of, of Biz Britain. Um, how did you kind of, t- did you enjoy that role or was that something that you kind of reluctantly, like I said, took uh, as many other people kind of experienced? Yeah, I guess it'd be difficult to say I was, I reluctantly took it because it started out as just me and it was something that evolved organically as we, you know, we hired people and inevitably someone needs to, to run the business and to, to kind of be the leader. And obviously you know, as the person that started it, um, 
it kind of made sense for it to be me. Um, so yeah, I guess it. Yeah, you know, it's, it's not something I I, I um, would say I've ever not enjoyed. I wouldn't ever, you know, I wouldn't ever voluntarily choose to go back to not being a, a you know a CEO or a leader or, or go back to working for someone else. So I guess I'm I'm not that reluctant. Obviously, like with anything, it has its challenges some days and some weeks, and you get the the inevitable, you know, grass is greener feeling some, sometimes when you, <clears throat> you wake up, when you're going through various challenges and you see how easy other people you know, appear to have it at that time through rose-tinted spectacles normally. Um, but no, I've, I, I very much like it. I think for me, I get a great deal of satisfaction out of it. Um, obviously, there are some hard things that you have to do and, and, and perhaps the hard things that you have to do that you wouldn't have to do in other roles necessarily because the buck really does stop with you there is no one else that you can pass the buck upwards to when you're when you're at the top of the chain in that respect you know when you're working in an organization unless you're the ceo of a, a large organization as a, an employee um there's usually someone above you that you can kind of you can kind of pass the, the baton you know the, the pass the buck upwards towards but no obviously as a ceo of an sme you know, the, the, all of the the, the good and, and bad gets thrown in your direction. So there, are, yeah, you know, there are times when it can be very challenging. But I, I wouldn't trade it. No, I think it's it's. Um, I wouldn't say I was reluctant. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. And yeah. another thing we hear quite a bit from entrepreneurs is that the CEO position is quite. They feel it's almost quite isolated, like you mentioned. Like the buck stops with you, and there's almost. Uh, you have to make very difficult decisions and there's not too many people unless you have a massive board um, yeah. that can kind of, you know, talk you through decisions that you need to make. Do yeah. you kind of talk to a lot of other CEOs to kind of bounce wisdom off them? And, and, and how do you kind of deal with that? Yeah, inevitably, yeah. I think uh, having been at this for 10 years now, I've built up a network of people who are in similar positions, you know, CEOs and business owners of uh, similar sized businesses and some, you know, some smaller, some larger um but it can yeah it, and i think that is important because it can certainly within your own organization be very um, isolating and also in your in your life as well because in your within your personal life if you don't build that kind of network of other people who are in the same situation as you it's it's quite difficult for other people to identify with you especially if your family and your friends are all people that work in normal jobs they work nine to five and they don't have the same kind of pressures and and um, challenges that you do, it's difficult for them to kind of identify and empathise with you know what you're going through sometimes, and and it's, it can be frustrating that you know from your perspective, from you know from my perspective, or the perspective of the person in the CEO position that um, they don't see it, but obviously it's understandable because it's not something they've ever had to do, or they it's not a level of stress that they've ever had to experience. Um, so yeah, no, I do, I do have um, various people who. I, I kind of uh, I would consider peers who are in, you know, run other businesses. And I think it is important. Um, that yeah, I mean, <clears throat> like with anything, I think that you kind of learn on your feet, and you as as the years have gone by, you kind of get, I've I've got better at it, and I think anyone who's in the same position, you know, as the years go by, you get better at it. But I think for me, when I started, I was still relatively young. I was in my mid twenties, and I'd had very limited experience of managing people. Um, in other companies, as an employee, I'd had kind of a low, low-level management position in in the finance job that I'd had, where I was kind of like a team leader of a small team of people. But I think you learn as the years go by, and I didn't, I didn't have any real management experience myself beyond working as kind of a team leader in a in a small 
um, a small, medium-sized enterprise that was kind of doing eight-figure turnovers. And I was kind of a low-level manager in a finance department. Um, but I didn't have any real kind of responsibility uh, you go, uh, in terms of hiring and firing. I was kind of just looking after the people that were there. And I think one of the hardest things that you learn when you're a CEO of your own business or you know, um, a large company that you're perhaps not an owner of is that people you have you kind of have like as a, as a human you kind of want to be friends with everyone that you're working with you want to be part of the group and you, you kind of have this need as a as a person to want to be liked and you know want to kind of be kind of the guys but i think one of the takeaways i've certainly learned is that you can't necessarily you can you can to an extent but you also need to be respected um and you need to be able to make to be detached to a certain level to be able to make the hard decisions that um that you inevitably sometimes have to have to make you know one of the worst parts that i've experienced of, of um being in my position is having to fire people that you like because uh, it's the right thing for the business or there's no requirement for them or they've they've done something um you know that that's particularly hard when you know you built a relationship with someone that's worked with you for a, you, you know sometimes years and you have to have to take away their job um it's quite a tough one and it's something that other people can't necessarily identify with um unless they've been in that situation but unless you're attached to a certain level um it's very hard to do that so i think you know that's that's one of the things that really does isolate you i think because there's always that kind of dynamic between the two of you that you are the boss and they are the they are the employee and then and you can take the job away so yeah yeah, no, absolutely. And an another thing that happens quite a bit when it comes to, to, to CEOs and leaders in general is, you know, truly moments of self-doubt. Um, do you kind of experience self-doubt? Um, and if so, how do you how do you overcome those moments? Yeah, I think um, along the way, certainly. I think everyone, I don't think you would be alive if you didn't, or you'd be a total psychopath if you didn't ever experience any kind of self-doubt. <laughs> I think, you know, we will have what they call sometimes imposter syndrome, don't they? When I think, you have this feeling that you know am i really you know why am i doing this or you know what's so special about me that i've ended up in charge with these people and this business and <laughs> and you know you just have to you just have to um i i find it helpful to remember that we're all just people at the end of the day i think one of the things that i've learned over the years doing what i do and meeting the people i've met you know i've met you know, i meet everyone from you know low level staff to ceos of like multi you know 100 million pound turnover companies and you know they're all just people they're just people that have different they do different things during the day <laughs> that's all it is um they do they type different things on their computers and they do different things they speak to different people on the phone but ultimately they're all just people and i think that's an important thing to remember and kind of keep you grounded that ultimately yeah <clears throat> you know i've i've done quite well and i think you know a lot of people in in a situation where they end up at a leadership position in a company, they can they can feel you know I've I've done quite well. How have I ended up here? You know, I'm, how why am I so special? But I think you just need to remember that you know it's you are just a person, and and so is everyone else that's achieved you know greatness in some way, shape, or form. People are just people, um, and and that's that's the way I choose to look at it. I don't know if that kind of makes sense, but that's that's kind of how I I ground myself and kind of rationalise it really. Yeah, no, 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 absolutely. And I'm going to read you another Matt Cobra original here. Um, some of the biggest hurdles we face as entrepreneurs are inside of our minds. At the start, our fear of failure or being sniggered at by our peers if things go wrong. So you wrote this again around about five years ago. Um, yeah. And obviously in that time, a lot of things have happened. But do you believe the view of failure in general in, you know, your, your um, 
community uh, as such um, has changed at all since you wrote those words or do you think it's 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 much the same I think it's for, I think for it's much the same I think to speaking in general terms from what I see um you know we're, I'm in a lucky position where I see you know over the last few years I've seen thousands of businesses apply to us and kind of ended up being funded by us and you know just generally when you you speak to people in the <clears throat> in the community and people who are starting businesses I think one of the biggest things that holds people back in the first place from starting is just a fear that they're going to be laughed at if it goes wrong, um, quite frankly. Or there's obviously there's another other right um, fears in terms of you know if you're older and you, you have certain financial responsibilities to your family and stuff. But it all kind of comes back to the same thing. It's a fear that what what happens to me if this goes wrong? You know, people are going to be laugh at me. My family's going to be disappointed. I'm going to be you know I'm going to be looked at in in a negative way. Um. And I think, yeah, I think that actually not only does it hold people back, it stops a lot of people from ever from ever doing it when they perhaps could. And I think ultimately that's, yeah, that is a, that's a real hurdle. I think it always will be because it's part of our, our human nature, isn't it? We're social creatures and um, we want to be liked and respected and we don't want to do anything that's going to jeopardise that. <coughs> Excuse me. So, yeah, um, yeah. so I, I think, yeah, I think it is, I think it, it is absolutely, um, I think it's something that will always be a key, um, a, a key variable in why people do or don't start businesses. I think it's, it's just some people have a personality where they can kind of rationalize it and overcome it. Um, and they can, you can kind of almost like see beyond that to the, to the goal that you're trying to reach. And you think, well, and certainly in my case, I kind of had that internal dialogue with myself when I was starting out. And, I, and the way that I saw it, and I rationalized it was that, okay, you've got a choice between either giving this a go and perhaps falling flat on your face and being laughed at and, and, you know, uh, being wiped out financially or never giving it a go and spending your whole life and uh, doing what you're doing now. And at the time I was doing a job that I didn't want (laughs) to continue doing long-term. It was, you know, it was, it was, you know, I earned okay money, um, but it wasn't something that made me happy. And the thought of doing that in another 40 years, um, and never progressing really much beyond where I was just absolutely terrified me far more than the idea of being laughed at um, or, or failing at a business venture. So that's that for me, that was enough motivation to kind of overcome that fear. And I think a lot of people, I guess, see the same thing. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think it's it's quite an interesting one with yourself in in that you had those those role models of of your dad and your grandfather, for example, who are entrepreneurial person uh, people too. Yeah. Um, do you believe that kind of comes into it, the genetic side of being an entrepreneur? Would, you know, how much do you talk to your to your folks about, uh, you know, running a business and things like failure, um, whereas some people may not have that same luxury um, in, in, as far as family goes? Yeah, I think there are different factors at play. I think you've got that element of who you are, who, your underlying personality, personality traits that are hereditary, um, <clears throat> which I think do make a difference. Um, but then I think I think it's a, a split though between that and your nurture. So you know who your parents are, what you kind of look up to. I think there is a. I think it's more towards the nurture. <coughs> Sorry, but I think there is definitely a significant undercurrent that kind of pulls you either way. So I think I guess there's an analogy there, isn't there? That it's like some anyone can be good at sport if they practice enough. Um, but some people are born with biological advantages where they're just always going to be better like naturally very good at sports or something in particular i 
for example, using the same analogy, when I was at school, I was excellent at high jump. I never practiced it. Um, I could always just do it and I could, I could beat everyone in my year uh, with my school uniform and my blazer and my shoes on um, without even trying. <laughs> and um, you know, I won district sports and all that kind of stuff. I, it, I never practiced, I never tried, I was good at it. You know, you're going to have that. And, and it's the same with the kind of traits that you, that you need to run a successful business, I think. There are certain traits that you kind of either have or you don't in your personality that allow you to I think largely it's, it's a certain level of underlying confidence. It's an ability to kind of see past kind of short-term fears and an ability to kind of and a willingness to bet on yourself as well, um, and but I think you can overcome them certainly, and and I think anyone can start a business, but for some people it's it's always going to be easier because you have those underlying personality traits. Um, so yeah, I think I had I, I guess I've been lucky in that I feel like I've, I've always had that, um, and also I suppose in the nurture sense as well. Yeah, I grew up seeing my my family running businesses, and it was kind of something I always aspired to do. So. I think it certainly helped. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. That's really, really interesting. And kind of switching gears again, um, I just want to kind of talk about the International Liberty Forum. Um, could you just tell us about that? Because it's something that you set up kind of mid last year. Could you just tell us about um, about setting up that? Absolutely, yeah. So the International Liberty Forum, it's it's a not-for-profit, um, kind of a, I would as I say, beyond, maybe a little bit past a hobby, really. It's, a, it's an organisation that I set up to kind of promote um and support um personal freedoms and and kind of push back against some of the agendas that are being pushed um in i guess in a lot of countries around the world at the moment um we you know we're we're at a, a time in i guess our evolution as a as a society where <clears throat> we're about to undergo or have been undergoing a very quick shift in um our Various technology, you know, various technologies that we have, and a lot of people describe it as a, a new industrial revolution, don't they? A fourth industrial revolution, and I think there are certain parties out there who are trying to. I mean, inevitably, you're always going to have this. Who are trying to use that to their advantage? And try, effectively, there's a, a power grab going on, um, whereby a lot of people, are, you know, in, in positions of power in various governments around the world, the Western world, various NGOs uh, like the World Economic Forum, they're very much trying to push um a new a new way of living for whatever reason um whereby they want um a much greater degree of control over populations through things like digital id um which in itself isn't inherently in, in, in you know isn't inherently bad it's but it has the the um the potential to be abused and, and like with a lot of these things so central bank digital currencies again for anyone that doesn't know what a central bank digital currency is, it's effectively a cryptocurrency that isn't decentralized. So you have things like Bitcoin and all the you know, various different coins um, out there in the, in the crypto market, which were kind of designed to be an alternative to the bank, the traditional banking system. Now, what we're seeing happening is the traditional banking system and the governments, you know, um, governments around the world and and the um, central banks are, are, are kind of cottoned onto that and say, oh, well, we can make our own digital currency. Um, <clears throat> so called the central bank digital currency. And what that effectively means is having your bank account with the state. So in, in the UK here, we'd have a central bank digital currency would effectively, when, when you take out all the fluff, it would mean having your bank account with the, with the Bank of England, um, which obviously has <laughs> severe implications um, for businesses and for people in general on how you manage your money, how, how your sales are 
um, trees, how you do your accounts, everything like that. Because effectively, if you're if you're banking and all your transactions are, are going directly through the government, um, there's no you have no privacy. You have there's total 100% visibility and control um, <clears throat> um, over everything you're doing. You know, every time you make a sale, every time you make a purchase, every penny you spend or earn would be instantly visible to effectively instantly visible to HMRC, which for <laughs> a lot of people, I imagine is a is a harrowing thought. Um, <clears throat> but so so yeah, I mean, the, the International Liberty Forum is very much trying to push back against the abuses that I see and we see as um, potentially occurring um, in those kind of areas. So very much trying to maintain a certain level of personal freedom, a certain level of detachment from the state, um, and just trying to just trying to protect people's uh, yeah personal liberties really. And that's that's what it's about. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think it's 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 quite interesting. Obviously, you were quite vocal during uh, the the lockdowns. Um, you know, really, really advocating for business and how harmful the lockdowns would have been. Um, obviously, you've got the Liberty Forum now, um, and previously, you've obviously taken up institutions such as um, universities. So th there's very much a kind of taking up uh, the you know taking on the big institutions within you. Yeah. Um, on behalf of kind of the littler guys. Um, where, yeah. where do you think that stems from? If you could just, have you ever done self-reflection to think about where that original thought has come from? Is that something that you're aware of? Do you, do you know what? Actually, I would say yes. I don't think I was so aware of it when I was younger, but I think now, you know, I've, I've been asked kind of similar questions a few times over the last few years. I think I've always been quite a rebellious person and I've always kind of been someone who wants to kind of rage against the, kind of rage back against the man, as it were. Um, from you know school, I was always, I, I I went to quite a strict boys grammar school, and although I, you know I had that within me, um, I was I I, I started um, th that grammar school when I was when I was twelve, and before that I'd been at a, a kind of school that was completely on the opposite end of the spectrum, where it was a quite an unusual private school where we called teachers by their first names and we wore, wore our own clothes, and it was very much kind of like. Um, pally pally and I went from that to being in this environment where you know you had your shoelace untied and you'd have some 60 year old guy screaming down your face and it was a it was a real shock to me <laughs> um <clears throat> and it kind of affected me to be honest and to the point where I was always quite worried about being late you know in my, in my first year um and worried about not you know not getting into trouble because it was such an alien concept to me to be kind of have that level of discipline and and kind of almost mindless discipline in some ways um, and that, kind of towards the end of my kind of year eight, my year as a 12 year old, I was in such a, my bus was late and I was in such a panic to get to school on time that I actually ended up getting hit by a car and um, ne nearly, effectively nearly died. I, I was quite badly injured. I um, knocked unconscious. I damaged my, um, on the vertebrae of my neck and I broke my leg and ended up in an ambulance. And um, <clears throat> I just remember being like alone in a hospital at 12 years old, like with a, neck brace on and sandbags on my head and not really know what was going on and just thinking why was I in such a rush to get to school on time that I've basically nearly died and that's always stuck in a weird way that's always stuck with me and I think it has actually quite dramatically shaped my behavior um because after that I just I kind of went the other way and I became quite a lot more rebellious and I was like I no, you know I'm not gonna I'm not gonna bend to your will you know I've done that I've played that game before mate and it's, it's nearly killed me so you know I'm gonna I'm gonna do my own thing now um and actually looking back there was a marked change in my behavior and the way I kind of approached life after that um and I think that really does um 
is is kind of at the very root of that kind of pushback against authority um, and the pushback against the man. Because although I was always quite a rebellious person, that really did almost like turbocharge it um, because I almost had like this anger about what had happened. And I was like, you know, <clears throat> it was just something that I was always almost like have a, like a defense mechanism against, I guess. And that I, I suppose when someone tells, tries to boss me around now, tell me what to do, I kind of almost like go back there and like, no, you're not telling me what to do. <laughs> I'm going to do my own thing. And, and like, like with any character trait, really like re- rebellious, uh, rebellious nature is, can be a really, really good thing. You know, you, most of the disruptors and, and people who are kind of, like you said, almost stuck up a finger to the man, um, yeah. they've been very, re- you know, rebellious in nature. However, the flip side to that is that, you know, they almost feel like they are, um, you know, it, it's, it's, a, it's a very tears of a clown style yeah. mentality. Um, would you say that you're a happy person? I would say I am a very happy person now. I think I'm an inherently very positive person. I like to always kind of see the, whenever anything happens, I always like to look for the positives in the situation. And yeah, I think I, I, I feel happy. And I think my happiness is directly tied to my sense of personal freedom. Um, and my ability to kind of live my life on my terms and my time, not having anyone tell me what I need to do and when, be able to, you know, not saying I don't work hard or I don't, you know, want to be, you know, doing what I do. But I like it to be on my terms. So if I want to work 14 hours a day, I'll work 14 hours a day. Great, I'll do it. But no one's going to tell me to do that. Um, and I think my happiness comes from having that level of control over my life. And I think as long as I have that, I'm happy. <laughs> and I think, you know, <clears throat> I've all, yeah, I, I think... Uh, it's almost like a parallel, but similar thing. I've, I think just generally, I think you get people who are optimistic and people who are pe- pessimistic. I've always been an optimist and I always see the best and the opportunity in any situation rather than seeing the risk in any situation. I think when I first started Biz Britain, um, a lot of people thought I was absolutely insane because I'd kind of went from a relatively well-paying managerial job in an accountancy kind of um, accountancy position to deciding, you know, I, although it was something in my own mind, I knew I'd wanted to do for forever. Um, I guess from the people looking in, I kind of just left this job with no backup plan, no real financial buffer behind me, bills to pay, um, kind of life to live, and just said, no, I'm going to start my own business. And, <laughs> and um, you know, I, I guess for me, it didn't seem like a big risk because I was – I was betting on myself and I'd kind of had that confidence that I was, I knew it wasn't a risk because I knew I'd pull it off. I just had that confidence that I would pull it off. Whereas I guess to other people that don't have that mentality, um, you probably thought, what on earth are you doing? But uh, for me, no, I guess that kind of ties back to the same thing, doesn't it? It's that positivity and that, that happiness and that, I, I guess that optimism that's, I guess uh, for me, that sits at the core of who I am. I always would choose, I think if you can choose to be anything, choose to be, <laughs> choose to be happy, you know, you're going to, you're going to get through the time either way, haven't you? So I'd rather be a happy person and smile and kind of look for the positives and be a negative person and, 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 you know, look for the bad in everything. It's now time for a very special segment. We've teamed up with the Jill Dando News Centre to bring you the Good News Postcard. Matt, your question today comes from Maria, age 12. Hi, my name is Maria from Jill Dando News Centre at World Community School. My question for you is, who has been your inspiration in the business field? Um, that's a good question. I think it's an important question as well, um, because for me, having a kind of a mentor and someone to, to look up to, certainly at the beginning, um, to kind of inspire 
was um, was a big help. So for me, uh, there, was a, there was a chap that I met when I first started Biz Britain. There was a, there was a guy who I actually interviewed as a uh, very successful entrepreneur who had started a business without going to university. And his name was um, Stephen Fear. Um, and he was a guy who had a, a, probably a, a far more extreme story than myself. He had actually grown up in a very poor background. He'd lived in a, a, a one-room council flat with his dad, um, lived in a caravan um, with his dad, and kind of left school at, I think, the age of 14 and gone on to build up um, you know, a, a property empire and a business empire and that kind of valued in hundreds of millions. And for me, it just it just kind of filled me with awe, really, uh, meeting this guy. And he had such an interesting story. And one of the things I remember is his nickname was a phone box um, millionaire. And one of his his first business was actually started um, when he was a teenager. And he used to sit in a little blue phone box at the end of his road and basically run his business. He'd ring up um, business people. So um, <clears throat> his first business was selling cleaning products. He would sit in his phone box and ring up cleaning product suppliers um, and try and get them to sell him cheap cleaning products, uh, oven cleaning products, so he could go and sell them to other people. I just thought, it, you know, it, and this was, he's, a, he's an older guy now, he's in his 60s, I believe. But this, you know, to, to, to have had that kind of mindset and done that and pulled that off back then, you know, 40, 50 years ago, in, in, when the world was a very different place, it just, it just amazed me. Um, so, yeah, he was very much my inspiration when I was first started out. Bristol Zone, I believe. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah, Matt, we are obviously a business leader. So what would you say makes a great business leader? I think you have to have, so there are a few things. I think um, self-confidence, self-belief. I don't think it's not, some people mistake it for arrogance, but I think you have to be supremely confident in your own ability to be able to do things whether or not you know how you're going to do it or not, I think you just have to have a belief in yourself that it's possible. Um, that's the first thing. Um, because without that, you're kind of dead in the water. You're always going to second guess yourself and you're always going to kind of fall if it's not the first hurdle, kind of the second or third or fourth hurdle. And I think um, the second thing as well is you have to have, a, a thick, I think, something that you build over time, but I think you have to have quite a thick skin. I think particularly in the modern day, where businesses are very much run, even if you're an offline business, they're very much lip, you know, operated online in the public eye, you know, with social media. And um, even if you, you don't have a big following on social media yourself, as soon as something goes wrong, you can bet your ass that someone's going to jump on social media and start complaining about <laughs> what you're doing. So you have to, <clears throat> you have to have a thick skin and be able to deal with criticisms and people you know, taking the, the mick out of you and ridiculing you. Because, and, and jealousy as well. They're gonna, as soon as you start doing well, People don't like it when you start doing better than them, especially when you know they're people who see you know not always, but the people you've grown up with or people that you kind of had as peers in the past. You know, there's a certain level of jealousy when um, I think you start doing things that they don't see, almost they don't see you as as having the right to do. <laughs> I think in some cases psychologically, but I think you have to be able to deal with a certain amount of negative, um, yeah, ne negativity in that respect and criticism, ridicule. Uh, people complaining at you and just just learn just let, let it wash over you and not take it personally and just stay focused because it's ultimately if you let that stuff get to you um you're never gonna you're never gonna be able to get where you need to go so yeah that's for me those are the two biggies yeah no absolutely and um so yeah we, we are pretty much at the end of the podcast but do you have any final words for the business leader audience today um final words no it's been <clears throat> it's been great thank you for having me um i think 
one thing I would say, and um, we, I kind of always say the same thing, if you've got something that you want to try um, and you're not sure about it, uh, it's better to give it a go, fall flat on your face and fail miserably than it is to spend your whole life wondering what would have happened if you'd given it a go. So give it a go. Yeah, no, absolutely. And where can people follow your journey online, Matt? So the best place to follow me um, is any of the any of the major social networks, Twitter, um, Facebook, Instagram, at Matt Gubber. Um, same, same username on all the different networks, M-A-T-T-G-U-B-B-A. Um, yeah, I, I live quite a lot of my life posting on, particularly on Twitter um, and Instagram. So yeah, feel free to follow me on those and you can see what I'm up to.